I'm Jenna. No last name. You probably already know why. But in case you don't, it's for a running gag. This is Fandalites, the podcast where Brent and I read and discuss the Animorph books. This week is book 48, The Return. It's a Rachel POV, and Rachel is at the White House and almost kills Jake in sunny, sudden mutiny. Nah, I'm just kidding. That was a dream. Really, Tobias told her that the rest of the Animorphs are afraid of her because she's a psycho. Oh, no, wait, that's a dream, too. Actually, she and Cassie get captured by David, who has found a way to control other rats and is using his army to seek revenge against the gang and against Rachel in particular. <laughs> no, actually, it's Krayak. He offers Rachel ultimate full instant morphing powers if she kills Jake. Rachel is very tempted, but she sticks to the perspective of herself as one of the good guys and resists. She recaptures David to return him to the isolated island he came from, but he begs her to kill him instead. She insists she's one of the good guys, and the book ends because I couldn't see the pages anymore because I was crying on the subway. Well, hello! <laughs> Didn't expect to see me in this book, did you? It is I, the drone! That's right! Myself and Krayak, we made a plan with David! The Elemist can use Tobias to free the Hawk Bajir, so we can use David to kill Jake! Oh. Uh, the drone, first of all, thank delightful. you! Thank you for being on this podcast. I know you've got a busy schedule, so thank you for joining us. Well, any time. I love to hear myself speak. Yeah, I can hear you have some corgis uh, in the room with you. I appreciate that you you love your pets. Oh my gosh, yeah. Okay. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? That's not the drone voice. You're breaking character. We did yeah. such good character work last episode. I was hoping we would really, that would be the new direction for this show. I, you know, I, I considered suggesting doing two fake episode starts and then starting the real one, uh, but you covered that in your summary. Um, apologies to our listeners if none of that gets uh, cut. I have the dogs. Uh, I'm the only one watching the dogs now, so there's more ambient corgi noise than usual, and yeah. they must have heard something in the back of the house that made them go nuts. I, it was you doing the drode voice. Their, their sensitive ears picked that up and went crazy. Well, I don't know why they would dislike that. The drode is amazing. I assume they're barking out of pleasure. I, I assume those are yips of joy. Yeah, you're probably right, actually. That the drone right, has blessed them. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Drode bless everyone. <laughs> so, drode bless them. <laughs> so this book was written by Kimberly Morris, uh, who also wrote books 38, 50, and 52. I believe that she's the same Kimberly Morris that mainly writes children's books, and as an episode 38, I cannot find a website for her. Hmm. Yep, 38 was the book with Estrid and the, the rogue Andalite party. Yeah, where Axe was kind of a huge misogynist. So this book, yeah, this, uh, like, half of <sighs> both of our notes set was useless because the first... Like, first bunch of chapters was, it was just a dream. And then it was just a dream within a dream. 
The Matryoshka dream situation didn't really piss me off, though, once it became obvious that it was Krayak trying to incept Rachel, because all of them ended with her, <laughs> like, super angry at Jake and resolving to take leadership from him. And so, like, yeah, okay, Krayak's incepting her. Yeah, and actually, both of them end with her almost dying. Like, they end with her fading from consciousness. One, because Jake takes her down, and the other because she can't pull herself away from this red light on the horizon, which is later symbolically seen as the Krayak's eye. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of I thought maybe Krayak would be coming when that showed up. That's a good call. I I mean, I it was clear that this David business was not the real end. I wasn't certain if it was just going to be another dream or if we'd gotten to the meat. And I was, you know, I had both of both, best of both worlds there with that guess. Yeah, I definitely started out this book being like, oh, it's... Bunch of dreams within dreams. Okay, book. But boy, did it win me over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it it could have gone a different way, but it did not go that way. It went the no. one that left me uh, real fucked up. Do you, do, you, do you want to talk about the ending, or do you want to work our way there emotionally? I think let's, um, hmm, let's work our way there emotionally, man, because okay. there's some other stuff in the book we got to cover at least a little. It, it, because this book is... This book is, there's some action in this book, but most of the book takes place in Rachel's mental landscape. Like, even when there are other characters talking to her, this is mostly about Rachel and I guess the series as a whole grappling with the person she's become as a result of this war. And, and the the person the other Animorphs think she is, and the person she thinks the other Animorphs think she is, and the person she thinks she is, which is fucking complicated, Brent. God, is, did we just read the last two episodes of Neon Genesis Evangelion? Is that what happened? Uh, I can't wait to watch all of that over Christmas break and to have a cultural touchstone for that. Okay. All right. Never mind. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah, is the Rachel sorry. that exists in the minds of others. Yeah, and she's sort of coming to terms with how dangerous and out of control the other Animorphs do seem to think she is. Like, I think her perception of the other Animorphs' perception of her is accurate. I don't know how you feel about that. I think at this point, yeah, I would say, because she's becoming increasingly unhinged. But, like, from our perspective, even, she's not wrong about being this way because it's how the other Animorphs needed her to be, but there's a typesetting device uh, that is used in here that I don't think we've seen before, where her inner monologue gets three different fonts to indicate she's remembering things that, that people have said to her, but I, I yeah. think also they're to indicate that they're things that are intruding on her conscious thought process because she can't hold them back. Yeah, I think that's a, a, an accurate description, and some of them, a lot of them are the things that the Drode said to her when he made an offer earlier that that is sort of the the lead up to this book the offer that if she kills Jake she can join the Drode or Krayak or get power as is the actual offer in this book yes yes salvation in the arms of Krayak mm. the salvation in the eye of Krayak maybe uh, like a waterbed the the worst uh, Kindle only <laughs> fan, uh, romance novel <laughs> It's an interesting, there, there's this part where she's describing in a dream to Axe Marco and Tobias, she's describing her desire to take the fight public, 
which I think for the rest of the Animorphs feels like an extension of her bloodthirstiness. But I think her description uh, to herself in her dream of why she wants to go public makes a lot of sense. And I wrote it down, so I'm going to read it to the audience. So enjoy this. Covert war stinks. It's a nasty underground kind of thing that screws screws up your head. Look at what it's done to us. Look at the moral compromises we've had to make. You guys act like I'm some kind of psycho, but all I want is a fair fight. And you can't have a fair fight with an enemy that won't declare war. And there's a lot there just in that little monologue. The the uh, the the moral compromises statement I think is really interesting because I think Cassie and Rachel belong on sort of a spectrum where Rachel's willing to sacrifice personal morality to get done what needs to get done in her her perspective whereas Cassie's very obsessed with personal morality and the, the morality of the group but i think this i think the other animorphs think that she's just bloodthirsty and that she has no morality whereas i think Rachel at least perceives herself as having a morality but understanding that you have to compromise that in order to win this war well, and I think that by the end of the book, you realize that it, even like subconsciously below that, this is a statement about what they did to David, because yeah. the only reason that they had to figure out some way to deal with him was because they were acting in secret. And they have to, she has to do it again at the end of this book, because they're still acting in secret. And I don't think that it's surprising that the sort of red right hand of the Animorphs who does mm. their dirty work would like the circumstances that force them to need to do things like this to go away so they can just have a fight and be done with it. Yeah, I actually, I didn't put that together, but you're right that it is that everything that they've had to do with David, David's only a threat because they are living in secret. Mm -hmm. And and if, if they had already done what Rachel has been pushing them to do, which is bring the war public, she would not be put into this position by the Animorphs to, to have to deal with David again. And there's this really interesting scene with Cassie at the end where Cassie's like, what are you going to do, Rachel? What are you going to do? And, and Rachel's like, you know what I'm going to do. I have to take care of David. I have to do this thing that I did for the group. I took on this responsibility and this moral burden for the group to protect everybody. But y'all are acting like I'm a psycho for doing it. And I, I think that's, It's such an important scene because it really brings to close the arc of Rachel in this book, which is her struggling with her perception. I mean, her whole perception of herself, really. That's it. All right. So we can only really make it like 10 minutes in before we have to talk about the end of the book. And the scene that you're talking about is, like you said, beautiful because Rachel's been having this internal struggle for most of the book now where she is angry that that she they didn't just kill david that she didn't just kill david when she had the chance because he's he's broken he is just not great and cassie's she knows she has to she can't let him go because he'll find the yurks and the yurks will find him and then they'll all discover the animorph secret identities and so she starts to go after him and and i think she tells cassie i'm going to take him back to the island it, with like an exasperated sigh because she just knows that's what they will need her to do again and cassie's like i don't think you can do it a second time i don't think you can do it again and rachel's just like can you can you do it 
And Cassie's like, no, that's what I thought. I'm going to go. The scene at the end, she finally catches up to David and he's just standing, enjoying the sunlight, waiting for her to kill him. Uh, and he begs for death rather than being put back on that island. I'm a good guy, she says. I'm one of the good guys. That's why I can't kill you. And he says, then do the good thing. Put me out of my misery. And we don't know. The book ends with her crying, sort of, hoping that she hears him run away. Just, and we don't know. We don't know what she did. Her, her saying, I'm one of the good guys, is echoing a moment earlier where she basically has Visor 1 through some Krayak bullshit, has Visor 1 in her giant hands because she can morph crazy now, and is basically about to kill him, and killing him will, I think, seal the deal with Krayak. And she, at the last moment, says, no, I'm I'm one of the good guys. I'm not going to do this. And then we have that replicated here at the end where she's struggling in, in the previous moment to understand what being a good guy, what the action of being a good guy in that moment is. And then she did, I think, the right thing by not giving herself over to Krayak. <laughs> but in this moment, I don't know what the right thing is. It was very obvious in the previous scene that she should not join up with Krayak, but I don't know what I don't know what the right answer here is. Should she put David out of his misery? Should she force him back on that hell island? I mean, I I think when they dropped him there at the end of the David trilogy, I was advocating for them just killing him because rats don't have like a super long lifespan, which does complicate his plan to uh, take over the world. Yeah, by oh my giving God. everybody the plague. <laughs> when did Pinky in the Brain happen? Is this a Pinky in the Brain thing? Oh, that was like, maybe? Oh, oh let me my God. That real quick. Oh, my God. Um, Narf. I mean, the fuck. The first episode of Pinky in the Brain was 1995. Yeah, okay. So he has turned into uh, Pinky in the Brain. I have to sit and recontextualize this now. <laughs> so, anyway, I think that I advocated for killing him being the more merciful thing to do uh, in the first place. Um, it seemed more cruel to force him to live out his life as a rat on a rock in the middle of the ocean, because, as they point out in this book, uh, Cassie just wanted nature to do their dirty work for them. Like, they they wanted him to die. They just didn't want to have to think of themselves as killers, even though they, they are. I know in a vacuum that I think putting him out of his misery is the right thing to do, but for Rachel's emotional health in this moment, I have no fucking clue. Yeah, there's an interesting moment earlier where she is thinking about how Cassie came up with this plan to make David a Nothlet and strand him on the island because it was, quote-unquote, the kinder thing to do. And Rachel is like, kinder for us or kinder for him. And I think that's a fascinating breakdown of maybe the flaws in Cassie's morality. Yeah. Which is very personal. It's very much thinking of oneself as an individual and what one individual can morally sit through and do and i think that's super important because they are in a war and you need that balance but we see the limitations of what that kind of morality can do in a very very dire and extreme situation that most of us will never have to go through thankfully 
which is having to fight a guerrilla war. Oh, I thought I thought you meant being trapped in a saw-style plexiglass box trap in the sewer <laughs> uh, by a, a, a rat killer. That too, Brent. <laughs> you know that too. But I think it's. I mean, it's fair. Like it wasn't. It wasn't the kinder option for David. At, and at that moment, they had a lot of different ways that they could have dealt with that situation. And they might have broken it down to whether or not to kill David or make him a Nothlet. But there are, there were other options. I think we suggested several. I think that seems like something we would do. <laughs> I mean, by the end of the David trilogy, there were not really that many other options. He, They kind of all backed themselves into a corner collectively david included yeah yes, they were all yeah they he were all definitely was up. a large part of it <laughs> and they they made their choice and they let rachel take the moral bullet on that and acts too to a certain extent but rachel's the one who's really burdened by it and then we have this book where i think there really are two options and it's it's put david back or kill him like i don't know what other options there are i briefly thought what if what if she what kept if... him as a pet? Yeah, I yeah, I did. thought that too. Okay, good. And that's and for a moment that seemed like it would work, but David would absolutely not. Even if David were living a cushy life, I don't think I don't think there's any hope for him left. I think they fucked him up so bad, making him a nothlet and stranding him on this island that I don't think there's much alternative for him. Yeah, I. At this point, they almost, it seems, and I think we both thought that because the way that it's written at the end, there's almost the sort of, um, the, the camaraderie of opposite mm -hmm. sides that is sort of a staple of the espionage genre, um, hmm. where there's sort of a mutual respect, like, all right, you finally beat me. Like we both, it's, we both know what has to happen now. It's it's not personal at this point. It's just, this is what has to happen because you won. And that's sort of the tone, but obviously like outside of that situation, it, it's not going to maintain that tone because it is extremely personal for both of them. It can't help but be. Yeah. And that, again, partially because they're still fighting a secret war and where everything is so small scale, everything has to be personal. And Cassie has worked so hard to make things personal because that's how she's preserving herself and the rest of the Animorphs' more moral compass. Kind of at the expense of Rachel's uh, yeah. emotional and mental health. Yeah, kind of extremely, as we see in this book. And, and I think that's interesting because, again, the last I think the last Rachel book we had was the one that was like partially a Marco book, really. Right, right, right. And so we haven't we haven't really gotten to touch base with that. So again, at the beginning of this book, I was like, "Wow, this feels sudden," but actually, it it doesn't. <laughs> By the end of this book, it pulls from so many of the other books and stories and themes of the full Animorphs that it it doesn't seem it's it just doesn't seem all that out of the out of the 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 arc for Rachel. Yeah, when when I've said before uh, on air that I like, but like I don't understand, at the time, I did understand where the sort of reputation of the ghostwritten books came from, uh, because <laughs> I like some of them better than some of the ones that K.A. has written. This is definitely one of those. Now, yes. having read through the lion's share of the books at this point, I definitely understand now <laughs> where the ghostwriter uh, reputation comes from. I, I think it is a little unfairly 
distributed across all of them when it really is just that chunk of filler in the 30s that's that's real tough to slog through. Yeah, there are definitely some standout bad books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's let's never miss a chance to remind everyone about the one where the Animorphs did 9-11. Uh, yeah, or the ones, God, just any of the ones with the Helmicrons. Oh, yes, or the one where it was just, like, pages upon pages of brutal cold weather survival. <laughs> yeah, or the one where they find that undersea species of, uh, like, mutated humans. <laughs> Lovecraftian in all the worst ways. Uh, and then you have this book. Oh, which, which is... Which is fucking spectacular. It is a, a brilliant capstone um, for Rachel's character arc. It's exceptional. It's so well written. And I keep, I keep just wanting to read parts of the book out loud on the podcast. And I have already done so. Uh, because so much of it captures so perfectly Rachel and her her place in the Animorphs and in these books. It captures it so perfectly. It feels absurd to recap it. I know. There's there's an exchange where Rachel is trapped in the plexiglass box where <laughs> where she like really, really bags uh on David in an aggressive way for being a rat, uh, and how terrible rats are. Because she's angry that he's, you know, trying to to trap her as an offlet forever. And he sort of like starts rat crying and comes back uh, and says, you're you're already a offlet because no person could have done what you did to me. And that's fucking savage, man. It's yeah, savage is the best word for it. And I I it sort of makes me sit back on my heels and think about it. Because it it's we we've talked before about how every time the yurks take a host, a, a part of that host becomes a part of that yurk. It just seems to be a part of that process, and, and part of me wonders if that's not also the case for the animorphs morphing. It, if they're not taking parts of those animals away from them, and Rachel, who if connects emotionally so much with being a bear or an elephant or these just large, large, powerful creatures, if that's not something she's carrying back with her. I mean, it clearly is. And the, the, while she was doing all of those crazy super morphs, when the Krayak gave her her weird superhero power. Yeah, her, her Tetsuo the Iron Man morph. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's, she has like claws and is very big and muscular and a part of me was like, oh, that's the cover. <laughs> okay, I see what you're doing. But also like razor sharp teeth. And it's like, it, it, it's interesting how bear-like some of the descriptions were. Until she became like that weird sentient plant. <laughs> yeah, it really undercuts my thesis. <laughs> not just razor sharp teeth, either. Bear trap teeth was what she yes! described them at. They were metal and like a bear trap. Uh, but... But, you know, it, it really, and you saying that, uh, it honestly gave me a little chill because it made me think of all the times that they've described the process of acquiring an animal as carrying its DNA inside themselves. They, they've they as much as admitted that they take a part of that animal and carry it in them. Yeah, it feels like the right extension of the sort of, sort of metaphor that's been low-key a part of these books where there's some questionable parallels between morphing and 
and taking a controlled host. Yes. And the questions of sentience and do you morph humans and all of that. And that this feels like it's a part of that sort of underlying energy. Uh, the part of this book that fucked me up the most was when I turned when I, when I closed the back cover and the copy that I the used bookstore copy that I have has a sticker on the back that says Mrs. Burt Central Elementary. Oh no. <gasps> oh, I don't like the idea of kids reading this one. But 5th grade is about when I got started in the Animorphs if I recall correctly. Oh, yeah, I mean same here it'd be 5th 5th or 6th grade. Yeah, so now I'm thinking about like a, a grade schooler reading this book and oh God, how did, how did Scholastic ever publish these for the market they did? <laughs> this this had this flew completely under every parent's radar. I'm really, I desperately want to talk to somebody. This is this is me reaching out to the fans. If you are somebody who read this book as a kid, like if you stuck with the series, which neither Brenton nor I did, if you stuck with the series and remember reading this book as a kid, if you have any thoughts or feelings or remember doing that, let us know on Twitter. We're at Fandalites, and I'm very curious. Yeah, uh, and if what you have is going to take more than 240 characters, uh, go ahead, feel free to email us, Fandalites at gmail.com. Uh, we will protect your last name from the Yerks. I'm very curious because I'm an adult. I'm in my 30s, Brent. And just as as we have been recording this podcast, I skimmed over the last page of this book, which has this line about how Rachel is crouching at the end of the drain pipe and she sees a broken shard of mirror and the things that she sees is a young girl sitting on her knees in the sun staring up at a white rat. And that's such like a children's book image divorced in description from the reality of this entire situation and it's such this moment of rachel seeing yet another perspective on herself that all of the animorphs have forgotten about themselves i think which is that she's like a 13 year old talking to a rat and it's all bad friend yeah yeah it's it's, it's real bad it's really bad. <sighs> I'm tearing up just hearing you describe that last page. It's I it's so it's so much, Brent. It's so much. It's so much. Do you think Rachel kills David? I don't think I want to know. I know it, it's it's frustrating on one level that the book ended like it did with her saying that she had no idea what to do. Um, but on the other hand, it's it's kind of brilliant that it ended that way because it really drives home how helpless and hopeless she must be in the face of having to make that decision. And I don't think it could have ended any other way. Yeah, I, I don't I think you're right. Yeah, I, I don't want to know. Um, I don't think that Rachel would want us to know. Oh, Brent. You're right. What a thing to say. You're right, <laughs> Brent. God. God, Brent. I don't know. What's got me so insightful this episode? It, this book was so insightful. I feel like it, we are tucked in to that insight. Also, this is one of those books. Sometimes we come to books and we have very different perspectives. This is not one of the books. We were both immediately 
without even really discussing it, exactly on the same page about this book and how badly it fucked us up. Yes. Yes. Finally, I am not the only one saying, you know, David made some good points. (laughs) (laughs) You certainly aren't. You've convinced me of a lot of different things about David, and that's one of them. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's, He's broken. But they're all broken. But it's like this book sort of hammers home the fact that Rachel is also broken and they're both broken in exactly the way that the Animorphs and this war made them be broken. Yeah. All of the Animorphs, I think, are broken to a certain oh, extent. Yes. And the the thing that makes Rachel different and the thing that made David different is that the other Animorphs are holding them personally accountable for being broken. Like they, it, it seems for the rest of the Animorphs, it seems like the way that these two characters are broken is some sort of moral failing when actually the war has fucked them all up. I mean, exactly. And and what I was thinking while reading the end of this book is that the way Rachel's broken, she was always going to refuse Krayak. But if he'd gone to Marco, mm. I don't know that Marco would have said no. I mean, we've we've talked about in the past that Marco is very much the the what is the phrase you use every time that's so good? The shining line? The oh yeah, the the bright line, the one that that, so that was a ghostwriter that came up with that one. He sees the the bright line between A and B. I yes, think that first yeah, came up in the that. the book where he uh led Visser's 1 and 3 to their supposed deaths that didn't actually kill either of them. It didn't really pan out. I mean, it worked out in the end, kind of. But yeah, the Marco being able to see the shining line, I think would would lead him maybe to take this power. Do you think he would have killed Jake, though, to get that? Man, I don't know. That's the thing, because he would have seen it laid out in front of him. Jake's life versus the entire planet. And I don't know what he would have picked. And... I Like, of course, Rachel was never going, I don't think, Rachel was never going to have that calculus fall on the side of killing Jake, because she's not that same sort of, she can't make herself that same sort of cold that, that Marco can in order to be a hard man making hard decisions, which is a trope I fucking hate, but that's kind of what mm. Marco's fallen into at this point. Yeah. Uh, she's got too much passion and too much... Uh, uh, rage to she can't turn it off like he can so i don't think she was ever going to like she she came close but i never doubted that she was going to fall on the side of i'm not gonna fucking kill jake you idiot Mm. marco i don't know he might have looked at that and said an end of the war jake would want me to do it that um Mm -hmm. that's a really interesting argument i can't disagree with you because i i think you might be right I I think it it really comes I just don't I don't know if Marco would be able to kill Jake. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine a similar lead up to that moment in this book where Marco is inceptioned to think about killing Jake like he's where he's primed to see Jake as expendable. Oh. I mean, he already proved that he's willing to kill his mom for the Ugh. to save the planet. So, I uh. yeah. He's very invested yeah. in this idea of himself not being weak and being able to make those choices that I I kind of want to see 
Krayak come to all the rest of the Animorphs uh, mm. with, with his his temptation like he did to Jake and Rachel. I think if there is a logical path that Krayak could take to argue that Jake is expendable, and I think that probably exists. I don't necessarily know what it is because I'm not an Animorphs <laughs> ghostwriter. But I think if Krayak could lay out a logical argument that Marco couldn't see flaws in, I think you're right. He could... He could perceive Jake as expendable. And this is why I'm... the Elemist is going to win eventually. Because yeah, if Krayak, Krayak was actually like all-knowing and all-seeing and three steps ahead of him the whole way, he would have gone to Marco with this plan instead of Rachel. But he didn't because he's a dummy. Do you think there's something essential about Rachel? So do you think, do you think Krayak went to Rachel because he sees something in her that he sees in himself and so he's sort of blinded to the other options i think he went to rachel because she sees something in herself that she sees in krayak oh brent uh-huh oh brent i'm on fucking fire tonight jenna <laughs> yeah i think you're right no that sounds right to me yeah he saw that there was an emotional wedge that he could use to worm his way in and so he went for it and the fact that he didn't notice Marco is a pretty big strategic blunder, I think. I think that's right. And I mean, it doesn't fucking work. I There were moments where I thought Rachel might. Because we know we know one of the Animorphs dies. Yes. Pro, I mean, probably. Based on the Illumist Chronicles, we can assume one of the Animorphs dies. Correct. Although, I guess maybe that could be David technically, but that seems like a cop-out. I mean, if we're gonna... If we're gonna use metagame knowledge here <laughs> uh, uh, to borrow a phrase uh it's also only book 48 uh, yeah i, I can't yeah, see we got a lot of book to go yeah if, if rachel took the deal and killed jake and got mad ultimate power then the last four books would be her rampaging across the earth murdering yurks and i don't rate no i don't know no. that you could drag that out for four four books i assumed that rachel would take the deal and jake would still kill her oh shit I assumed that's, yeah, I did not assume that Rachel would take the power and survive that transaction. I assumed that it would backfire in some way and that she would die the most ignominious death possible. Oh man, you thought we were going to get another David trilogy starring Rachel? Kind of, maybe. <sighs> oh, that would have been fucking rough. Yeah, Brent. <laughs> there was, yeah, and there were times in this book where I thought that might have been how this broke. And I'm glad it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't less hard to read through, but I'm glad, I'm glad Rachel, I'm glad Rachel fully understood her role in the Animorphs and, and understood the sort of moral balance that she provides to the group. And I'm hoping that she's able to, in some ways... Probably this won't happen in the books. I'm hoping she's able to articulate that to the rest of the group. I mean, she kind of does with Cassie at the end. Yeah, in an extremely cutting way that Cassie kind of deserves. I think they all kind of deserve that, a little bit of that cut <sighs> to sort of write, write this weird shift. I don't think we'll get that in the books, but I'm going to assume for my own peace of mind that it happened outside. <sighs> Once we dive into the fan fiction, we'll probably find it. I hope so. Some missing scene fanfic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, the cutting room floor fanfiction. Yes. Several of these books that are lackluster could be made pretty decent with the deleted scenes reinserted. Eh, maybe. 
Some of them are, are beyond. Yeah, some of them are un, unfixable, but there are definitely a few that our complaint has been it wasn't long enough for what it was trying to do. That's fair. We'll have to, at the end of the series, we'll have to break down books into categories. We should make some sort of like, if you want to read the Animorphs, here's the ones that you should read, here's the ones you must read, here's the ones you can safely ignore. Oh, nice. Yeah, I like that. Is there anything else from this book that you wanted to talk about, Brent? I did get a giggle early on when Rachel was talking about how, like, Nickelodeon has no friggin' clue about morphine, <laughs> and there is a little sticker on the front of this book that says, Watch Animorphs on TV, and I'm pretty certain that was a Nickelodeon show, so well played, Kimberly Morris. Yeah. That was a good burn. Uh, that's... That's it. That's the only thing that we didn't cover, uh, because the the bulk of the gut punch of this book was was wrapped up in our discussion about the ending. This might it might be my favorite book. It's I mean, we've got what we have exactly six more books to go. Is that right? Next book is book 49, The Diversion. It's a Tobias POV. Uh, He's morphing into a Rottweiler is pretty cute. I have to assume, based on that cover morph, that the diversion is literally anything he smells while you're trying to walk him. <laughs> Puffies. I like that the middle, this is maybe my favorite middle morph, because it looks like just a dog with cool wings. I mean, I like wing dog. Yeah, I like wing dog. I'm into wing dog. <laughs> well, I guess that'll do it for this week. Thanks for listening. Once again, like we mentioned earlier in the episode, we'd love to hear what you thought about this book if you read it as a kid, or what you thought about this book is if, if you read it as an adult. That's fine, too. Um, you can hit us up on Twitter at Fandalites or Fandalites at gmail.com. Uh, if you like the podcast, you want to subscribe. If you're, for some reason, not already subscribed uh, on on episode 48, uh, <laughs> you can find us at fandalites.com um, or wherever you subscribe to podcasting we're on itunes google play and spotify uh thank you to dust nodell for the use of his music for our intro and outro you can find his stuff at dustinodell.bandcamp.com uh, give it a listen because it's pretty good uh and until next time remember nostalgia is a drug <laughs>